Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Welcome to the What Culture Gaming Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Tilford, joined by Josh Brown. Hello, Scott Tilford. Hello, Josh Brown. Let's talk about PlayStation things. Thought we'd do a big old roundup of where the company are at a few years into the generation, what games they've got on the horizon, and the fact that they've got a new PS5 model doing the rounds as well. Me and you talk about PlayStation <laughs> unheard of. <laughs> dirty, dirty fanboys, according to the comment <laughs> section. Um, but to some degree, uh, PlayStation is the console to talk about. Not yes. that I'm, I am denying the fanboy thing. It's just that the PlayStation having 80% of the market share kind of puts it on your lips every now and kind of does, doesn't it's it? It's kind of worth talking about. Um, so we'll break a lot of stuff down. I've got a whole list of games and talking points from live service stuff through to the delightful lo- likes of Phantom Blade, at least on my part. Um, but we'll talk about the new model that's doing the rounds. What do you think of them sort of atomizing the idea of the PlayStation ecosystem hardware-wise? There's the slim model that's been talked about. There's the detachable disk drive version. And then maybe there'll be the regular versions that'll do the rounds a bit more as well. You know me. And Ox- there's a slimmer version yeah. that isn't the actual PlayStation Slim. They're yeah. just replacing the regular version. You know me. Options are good, yeah. in my opinion. <laughs> and I'm not going to lie, I really liked the original design of the PlayStation 5 when it was announced. I know that's quite divisive. I like it too. That said, I've never looked at my PlayStation 5 in three years. It sits <laughs> under my quote-unquote entertainment system. Right. And I never get to see that beautiful, Can you actually not see it at opulent. All? Nah, can't see a single thing of it. Interesting. Isn't that weird? I've got a coffee putting... table right in front of me, so oh. that kind of blocks... The, uh, the, uh, the bottom of the entertainment system, as uh, it were. So never see it. <laughs> oh, I'm seeing mine every single day. Are you not? Because are you not buying that many disc games to play either? Very rarely. And even when I do get a disc game, mm. because it's underneath something, I only see the front anyway. <laughs> the point of this is. I like the aesthetic, but I don't see it. And yeah. it made me realize how little that stuff actually matters if it mm. isn't on display. It's the same with my Xbox. That's mm. also underneath this thing. So they kind of just tucked away and I don't see them. But the more options, the better. I think Sony needs to come out with more of the face plates in particular. Yes. You know, get more customization on that side of things. Give us an optional disk drive if they want. I love slim versions of consoles. I Same. like having that option. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's cool. If it, if it makes them cheaper, if it makes them cheaper to produce, then then sure, why not? I think it'll make them cheaper to produce, but they'll keep the price high because it's Sony. It's Probably. Jim Ryan. He loves the profits. Almost certainly. They almost certainly will. But <laughs> hopefully we get 
options within that. I know we True. already have the digital version that's a little bit cheaper. Mm. Um, and hopefully the uh, base version does come down in price eventually. I think currently, or at least for the past few weeks, there's been a, a sale in the UK where it's been like £75 off ah. the, the machine. And right. I know they've been pushing that a lot. So I want to see more of that stuff. More mm. sales, more accessibility, more bundles of uh, yes. upcoming titles. More stuff that gets PS5s in the hands of people and gets rid of the PS4. I don't want you making games for the PS4 anymore. Let me ask you this. I go. agree, by the way. Yes. I also agree. It's kind of, uh, I knew it was going to happen, but obviously <laughs> the new Call of Duty Modern Warfare 3 has been announced for PS4 and Xbox One as well. And I'm My like, beloved Phantom Blade's coming <gasps> to PS4. Is that right? Horrible. Did not know that. Yeah. There we go. Um, what was I going to say? Oh, yeah. The, I want to ask you this. Yes. I think I know the answer to this. I think you might have even mentioned it before. <laughs> Are you someone who likes to get like the game branded versions of a console or a controller? You know, like when you get like the God of War bundle. Oh, I know what you mean. It has I... a God of War print on the console and the controller. I'm always annoyed that they come out after the fact. If that right. was when I'm getting, if I'm gearing up to get my PS5, if you have a, a Spider-Man version ready to go, a God of War version, then yeah, I would get a God of War version. Um, but they're never available at the same time. I never know who they're for. Right. Because they always put them out a few months after, and it's like. I, I, but, like, but not that long after that it's like a, a notable marketing push. It's just sort of like, well, we've just done, like in the Spider-Man's case, it was like, oh, we did the PS5 and then there's a Spider-Man branded version of it, but it's, you've just bought your PS5. <laughs> like just, I just, I hate that timing thing. Because um, I love, you mentioned faceplates before, I love my old Xbox 360 faceplate. I had an Assassin's Creed one from like 2007. I used to love that thing because then you can have a, a, con a um, you know, franchised console or whatever. I would love a set of God of War plates for my PS5. I can't believe they haven't made them. Well, it's like an incentive, I think, when you get like those game bundles for mm. people to finally jump in, you know. There's always uh, system sellers, aren't there, when yeah. it comes to consoles. And Spider-Man is definitely a system seller. God of War is definitely a system seller. So I think they kind of take advantage of that mm. and assume that people are jumping in for those games. So why not give you that extra incentive and be like, we know you're jumping into the ecosystem to play this one game. He's this one game branded on the well, entire machine. Well, that's what machine. I'm saying. Like, that's a lovely incentive. Do that on mass. Do that for bigger prints. Do that for the, the initial rush of the sell. Like, I'm not going to buy two PS5s. Absolutely not. What I want to see, it. actually, is I've been messing around with um, Microsoft's, um, I know they've had this for a while, but their Xbox customization yes. uh, suite where you can change the colors, change the buttons out and stuff. I want to see Sony... Oh, for the controller. Do that for the controller, mm -hmm. yeah. I wish we had that on Sony's side of things. Yeah. Maybe we do. Maybe it's tucked away. Sony released so much and then don't promote <laughs> it, so I wouldn't even know. But well, I've not like, seen that. No, they've done those four main colors where it's like it's like purple, black, red, and yeah. white or whatever. I bought a God of War Ragnarok-themed controller, um, and they're doing a Metal Gear one for the uh, Master Collection. Ooh. And I was like, I hate that I'm going to buy that. I'm only getting it because it's got Yoji Shinkawa's artwork on the touchpad. The rest of it's just a, like a camo design. Yeah. But I was like, I'll camo. spend... Camo! Yeah. Oh. And I'm like, ah, it's, it's snakey there, I guess. But I'm just yeah. like, I just want like little... Yoji Shinkawa's snake face in the middle of my controller. Um, so there is that. Um, in terms of where the PlayStation 5 is at, though, what do you think? Good generation so far? Great generation so right, far, yeah. Scott Tilford. You might disagree with this. I, I don't I know. I think they've had a great year, man. Uh, it's been mm. quieter than last year, definitely. But, you know, playing games, well, playing the PSVR 2 in my case, you know, being able to jump into that at the start of the year, mm -hmm. going into Final Fantasy 16, looking forward to Spider-Man 2. I think they've had, you know, it's not been the greatest year of all time, but <laughs> it, it's it's very, very solid. Yeah, I'm thinking of the, the generation overall. I feel like the generation overall is still yet to fully kick in. This year has been incredible for games, just as a, as a boilerplate sentence, but I still don't think there's been anything that's been, oh my God, five star, you need to stop your life and play this. Interesting. Um, Elden Ring was the nearest, but that was like a cross-gen thing. It wasn't yeah. made for new gen. So it's like something like that where I'm sort of still waiting for like the big game. I talked about this loads and I'm not in a, an overall negative mindset with the generation. It's just that I won't if this is as good as it's going to get hmm. where like it's like we're still waiting I'm still waiting for something that takes full advantage of the PlayStation 5 full advantage of the SSD makes some levels that couldn't be done on a PS4 
um, there are little hints of that every now and then, like the loading in Ratchet and Clank or the loading in Final Fantasy 16 and the scale of the battles in 16. And Square Enix saying like, well, we had to get rid of the PS4 version to make this work. And I'm like, I just want to see more of it. You're scratching at the surface of what should be this unbelievable game design. Yeah. Um, and I can't wait to see it. So I'm still thinking we're yet to kick in, obviously because of the pandemic or whatever monetary reasons make you make last gen versions of things. But I'm still waiting for it. As stellar as this year is, yeah. there's nothing at all that makes me go, oh my God, this game. That is such a shame because I've, I've had three of those five-star experiences that right. you just described there that you ha- unfortunately haven't had. Like, uh, those are coming thick and fast for me this mm. year especially, and I've had them in previous years. You know, Like you mentioned there, Elden Ring last year, mm. God of War Ragnarok last year, which I know you don't love as much as I do, but that thing I thought was incredible. You mm. know, I feel like... Even though it has been a slow start, and I definitely concede that, I am also yet to see, you know, a proper, this is what the PS5 can do game. Yeah. But that I think said, that's what I end up getting hung up on. Right, yeah. yeah. But that said, the games that I have experienced, even if they are cross-gen releases or whatnot, have been on such a high caliber that I haven't minded the weight. Like, I always mm-hmm. go back to the start of the PS4 as, as a comparison, because that was the only other console generation where I was there from the start right. and didn't have to wait a year or two to get the machine. Mm-hmm. And I remember that being like a genuinely torturous, the start <laughs> of the PS4, waiting for those exclusives to drop. It kind of took until really 2017 mm. to get them en masse. You had games before mm. then like, you know, Uncharted, uh, Thief's End, and you had, you know, Infamous Second Son and stuff. But to me, it never clicked True. until we got Horizon and then we the got the ball running. It was so strong though. Like 2015 was like the year that it kicked in. We, yes. we had to wait like about a year and a half for that sort of things to kick in, like the end of 2013 through to like 2015. Oh, absolutely. But I mean, it's a Sony First podcast, so I'm, I'm oh, no, try, yeah. trying to focus on that a little bit if mm-hmm. we're comparing and contrasting and just True. waiting for those kind of, why did I, reasons to buy a PlayStation 4. I, I enjoyed Infamous Second Son, like mm-hmm. I said, I, I kind of even enjoyed Killzone and stuff, but it felt like there were big months between those 9 out of 10 games, like maybe even years between those 9 out of 10 games. Mm-hmm. And even though what Sony is releasing right now yeah, you can probably play it on a PlayStation 4. They're still managing to hit, more often than not, that kind of 9 out of 10 experience. And I know mm. you might disagree on that a little bit, but I'm um, managing to ride that out. No, they are. It's just that there's such a safe way of hitting that number. Like, there's such a safe way of delivering a solid video game. Like, we talked about when we did the hour-long spoiler podcast for God of War Ragnarok, how, how about about how the best things in that game are the story, the narrative, the thematics. That's where the meat is. It's not necessarily the gameplay. So much is the same as before. Same with Horizon. I imagine same with Spider-Man. Um, there's only so much I can care about that. Like, okay. I just, I'm a, I, you know me, I'm a gameplay dude. I would sack off stories altogether. Well, so it's, you know, I need, I need the gameplay stuff to be as good as the story stuff. Trying to figure you out is one of my favorite <laughs> things to do in life. You'll never do it. You absolutely are right that you always say that. But at the same time, I know that between, like, big installments, you're always talking about, like, wanting a big, meaty story to get stuck into. Yeah. And for me, when God of War delivers more of the same combat-wise but gives me a story as rich as it mm. did to the point where we could talk about it for an hour and a half, that's kind of what elevates it to that 9 out of 10 True. sort of level. Like, when you described it there, I would kind of maybe say that it's not easy to hit an 8 out of 10, but it's it's easier. Yeah. Like, when I talk about, like, 9 out of 10s, that's where I'm talking about, like, something special. Not a Horizon sequel, but, like, yeah, an yeah. Elden Ring or a God of War Ragnarok. Mm-hmm. Or something yeah, like I mean, level. for me, it's like, yeah, I'm always looking forward to, like, some sort of propulsive mechanism to get through a game, and story's an easy way to do that if you get a good hook in there. Um, so that those things obviously have value. It's just that that whole idea of what I'm going for, um, if we're talking about sequels, then it's going 
have to do something in theory, like evolutionary to that core mechanic or mechanical set or whatever. And in God of War Ragnarok, it's just that so it's endemic of Sony's overall attitude, which is just more of the same. Like, mm. I just feel like they're in this little place at the minute where they know that the amount of money that's, and that, that's the whole thing that Sean Layden's talked about, obviously the X face of PlayStation, um, the amount of money that's doing the rounds on these games, they kind of need to be a certain level of safe. And that only means that you can experiment in regards to story stuff, as long as you nail the, the like gameplay side of it. And just part of me just thinks that's a bit boring. Yeah. Like, I just think that's boring. It's a boring way to approach your first party stuff. Um, I want you to be going out there doing bold things with new genres or whatever you need to do. Um, and it doesn't take away from how stellar those games are. It's just that they're a bit boring. They're a bit expected. Mm. I feel like I already know what Spider-Man 2 is going to be. Right. It's not that it's not going to be great, but I know what it's going to be. So it's like, meh. Like, mm. I'm not, I can only get so excited about that. Yeah. Um, as opposed to looking at something and being like, oh my God, I can't wait to control that. Or whatever it is. Um, we should run down some games, though, because there's quite a lot to get to. And the first one is like a sort of quasi-exclusive, which is Baldur's Gate 3. They've got so lucky with this, they, It's they? unbelievable. Like, you've got the amount of time building up to Starfield dropping over on Xbox, the deal going through, making Starfield exclusive, even though it started development way before the Xbox uh, Microsoft deal came through. Baldur's Gate 3 is, like, currently the most highest-rated game of the year and seems to be that game that is incredibly meaty gameplay-wise and narratively and story-wise, etc. Um, doing the rounds on PC, 800,000 concurrent players, etc., breaking all the records, and knocking Zelda off the top of the Metacritic. Um, that game is just, just happens to be exclusive on PlayStation because of the Series X on the Xbox side, and um, apparently not being able to handle it right now, and um, Larry and Slash Microsoft working tirelessly to try and get a launch day version of the game working. However, the current um, uh, you know sentiment doing the rounds is that it's going to be delayed till 2024. Yeah. So um, it feels like Baldur's Gate 3 is just going to feel like a PlayStation exclusive. Yeah, Final man. Fantasy VII Remake has become a PlayStation exclusive because they just haven't honored the Xbox side of things. And I feel like that's going to be the same thing with Baldur's Gate. Definitely. I think they've got so lucky with it. Like um, a complete fluke as well. <laughs> Not just that it's had the issues with the Xbox version, but mm. that it's coming out the same day as Starfield mm. is just, is crazy. Like it's a it's a miracle <laughs> in a way. And Which one are you playing first? Starfield. Starfield yeah. for me. Just because uh, Baldur's Gate, for as good as it looks, it's so not my genre that mm. it's going to take a kind of blank slate for me to jump into. I can't be playing a game like that that I'm not familiar with when mm. I've got another game in mind, mm. if that makes sense. I yeah. don't think it's fair on the game almost, so I'm going to jump into Starfield, and are you going to jump into Baldur's Gate or try to do both? I'm maybe? way more excited for Baldur's Gate yeah. um, just because of the amount of little gameplay clips that are doing the rounds and people talking about, like, oh, I, I tried this, I combined this spell with this thing, and the game knew what I was doing and it recognized it, and I was like, oh my god, I can't wait to just poke and prod at that thing. And that's the exact type of gameplay experience that I, I want from video games. Um, and so, yeah, I think I'm going to do Baldur's first. Starfield feels like a much bigger deal, though, because it's just mm. like... And I know Phil Spencer's got out in front of it and been like, oh, it's not going to be this 11 out of 10 thing. Just calm yourselves. But at the same time, it just is the tip of the spear of yeah. the next generation of Xbox and, like, or the, arguably the generation of Xbox because they're yet to have that much um, this year anyway, apart from Hi-Fi Rush. So I kind of want to know what that feels like. And yes. I kind of want to know what the first few minutes of a new Bethesda IP feel like because it's we haven't experienced that in our lives yet. Like, we've no, played Fallouts yeah. and stuff. Yeah. Um, but they're already on the way. They haven't birthed a new IP. Yeah. So it's it's just one of those things where I, I just want to know what that feels like because it's been ages since Bethesda have wowed me. It's been th 12 years. That's it, right? I mean, it's uh, obviously Starfield is a huge release, mm. maybe the biggest we've had so far. Eh, maybe after Zelda, I suppose. Mm -hmm. But with uh, Sony having Baldur's Gate 3, it's just such a good alternative. They can just mm. go like, well, look at how much hype this game has got. <laughs> PC players are not shutting up about it. Mm -hmm. People are 
raving over it. People are talking about it, releasing videos about it. Like, you can't move. It's crossed that threshold from being a, a niche hardcore title into mm. something that is, you know, crossed into the mainstream. And I think Sony can literally just whack that thing on the storefront the day it drops with the little <laughs> um, byline of the highest rated game of the year, right? And it's I already think, trending when you go search for stuff. It's already, like, number two or three. Yeah, chop. The pre-orders, like, immediately, didn't it? So <laughs> that's one that I'm definitely interested to jump into. And actually kind of see how it plays on um, console, because mm. obviously... Obviously, those games are designed primarily for a PC interface. Obviously, you got better at uh, optimizing that stuff mm -hmm. over the years, but I'm going to be interested to figure out how it feels on a controller. That's the thing, right? Because Divinity Original Sin 2 is the is the last of, I think that was the last of Larian's games that came to PlayStation. And I tried and tried to get into that game. And it just, it was that thing of like, oh, this would be so much better with the keyboard and mouse. Yeah. The amount of different, the compromises they've had to make to make it work with hold this button, then move this, do whatever, to get around all the different menu systems and everything. Um, and that did mean that I'd never finished uh, Original Sin. Like, so I hope I don't bounce off Baldur's Gate. Like, yeah. I love uh, Baldur's Gate Dark Alliance. That was such a consoleized Baldur's Gate, and it, it's such a, an easy pick-up-and-play dungeon-crawling RPG. Um, and they remastered it, and I went back through that with my wife, and it was phenomenal. So I'm so into Baldur's Gate, and it's so, like, the baseline of, like, Western fantasy. Yeah. I just wanted to just work. Well, that was going to be my next question, mm. right? Because let me ask you. What is Dungeons & Dragons? Like, what is it? <laughs> I know it's a tabletop game. I know it's an RPG. I know it's fantasy. But I don't know anything about, like, the minutiae of that franchise. I think that's fair to call it, right? Well, yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, yeah, D&D has, kind of, has just become this blanket term for ostensibly Western fantasy. I mean, I'm being, I guess I've mentioned loads. I'm going through all the Final Fantasies. Even the even Final Fantasy is inspired by D&D. Like, there are, you know, you know the enemy, the Beholder? It's like a big floating giant eye, and it's got, like, tentacle heads. I don't, no. It's, uh, there's a few of them that pop up in D&D. There's one of them in Final Fantasy that, as, as that game went global, they had to rename it. Oh, right. And it's just things like that, where it's just, it is just so archetypal Western fantasy. Um, and then there's different regions inside it. I don't know, I don't like play D and D. I've done a couple of starter sessions, but not enough to tell you the uh, geography of everything. But mm -hmm. I know that obviously Bioware did uh, Neverwinter Nights, and there's like Icewind Dale and stuff. And I think that they cross over. Yeah, I know there'll be some D and D fans going, "You've just got that completely wrong." <laughs> That's fair. Um, but yeah, at the same time, it just is this such an old IP, such a um, you know dice rolling, sit down in real life, build your character, um, pen and paper RPG yeah. that it predates everything. Um, and then it's you can trace everything back to D&D stuff. So Baldur's Gate is an area in the D&D world, as far as I know. Okay. Um, and the Baldur's Gate series um, just is its own little wing of that entire world. So it's like, it has that stature to it. But yeah. I've only ever got into Baldur's Gate. Right, okay. That's, yeah. I think it's just an interesting angle because there's so much about this game that's fresh to me. Like mm. I said, not just the gameplay style, but the world and mm -hmm. the style of it. So that's intriguing in and of itself. And it makes me... Look forward to play it. And like I said, what a what a what a lucky surprise <laughs> for Sony to get the highest rated game of the year as a unofficial exclusive <laughs> completely by accident. It's like they've literally like gone, it's like the race is about to happen. They've just gone up and kneecapped the guy next to them. Yeah. Or, yeah, or yeah that guy yeah. kneecapped himself. True. And then just went, well, we're in first place now. And it's like, well, there's no one else running. No. So <laughs> that's whatever. But um yeah, at the same time, yeah, both Baldur's Gate, the amount of um, experimentation, the early hands-on stuff and obviously the reviews and everything, point to a level of um role pure role playing where every single thing you do is tracked and responded to um like what a real life DM would do, like mm -hmm. a dungeon master, whatever would do if you were sitting down in person, who a person who was able to roll with everything you were thinking of, like 
it's just a unique energy to those D&D sessions where right. you have someone who knows the rules and knows the encounters and is coming up with stuff on the fly, responding to the player. And it's like making that playable is what Cyberpunk was supposed to do. Yeah. Um, Because obviously that's based off the tabletop book as well. And um, I feel like they've nailed it this time. So I want to know what that feels like. And I love the idea of me and you or whoever comparing their play times. Definitely. And that's just, you know, like figuring out different ways through the missions and everything. Yeah, that's my most... Uh, most excitable part of that whole project, mm. I think, is like the level of depth in the story and the choices in the world and mm. like how you can get through those missions and stuff. I know you're all kind of focused on the not only focus on the gameplay part of it, but you mentioned there that you're excited to mess around with yeah. their, the options that are on display and the different mechanics. Like, I haven't even thought about the mechanical side of it when right. I think about uh, Baldur's Gate 3. It's it's about, like, the, the environments and the story and that level of exploration. I'm just, like, along with Starfield, I'm just really in the mood for a deep... RPG experience where mm -hmm. I can like tailor it and have agency in the world and you know mm -hmm. uh, court a party of characters who are interesting and have their own personalities and stuff. Yeah, one of the things I was listening to over on Nextlander was like Vinny Caravella talking about um, splitting their party up because they had to infiltrate like an area and sending like a dwarf around the back so they could stealth kill a bunch of guards to free up the area from the front and then they like pincer movement the rest of the uh, of the area. Right. And then the other two dudes not even thinking of doing it that way and the game responding to that and then you can like um, have conversations with NPCs in ways that would let you get through those areas in completely different ways. I just think it'll be like the ways that we solved the puzzles in Tears of the Kingdom mm. um, applied to a level of maybe storytelling or character interaction, dialogue choices, um, dice rolls, etc. And I just can't wait to see how that feels. I think there's a potential that it's just hard, harder to pass out on console um, or maybe potentially weird to control or whatever, but I just there's so much potential there. And the reviews are sky high yeah. just because of just how incredibly complex the, um, the games like Matrix is that I just can't wait to see more of that. Um, next one down is Spider-Man 2. We mentioned a little bit about that before, um, but just in terms of like that's the next big actual PlayStation exclusive. Um, the only real one for the rest of this year. Yeah. Everything else that we're going to be talking about is 2024 future stuff. Where are you at on Spidey? I mean, I'm excited, man. Of course I'm excited. <laughs> I agree with you that I probably know how it plays already. Mm. You know, I've seen the the web wings, which, you know, pop me silly is <laughs> something I really want in the game. Um, I'm sh it looks more iterative than I maybe expected out of a full-blown next-gen sequel. Mm. But, you know, for as much as I enjoyed the gameplay of Spider-Man 2018, mm -hmm. it was the story that excelled it for me, and it's going to be, hopefully, the story that excels this this time around. I'm so intrigued in the Venom storyline. I know it's a, potentially a basic take, but Venom's always been my guy. That symbiote storyline <laughs> has always been the one for me. It's why I loved the Spider-Man 3 game and the Spider-Man 3 movie, you know? You so sick really, freak. I am, I know, I can't believe it. Uh, so I'm really excited to see how some Insomniac um, manages to twist that, maybe some of the expectations in a way, mm -hmm. and just kind of live in their world again, because I think that was so fully defined mm. in the original game, and then in Miles Morales, of course. So to see them build on that, that's the most exciting thing for me over the gameplay. Well, the thing is, like, when was the last time someone did the, the Venom origin? 101 story because like the fact that you've got Miles as a major part of this like he has agency in this story which massively changes the way it was written in whatever decade the original Venom story was written yeah <clears throat> excuse me and it's one of those things where like like I said when was the last time someone did this on mass it probably was Spider-Man 3 yeah. Like, in terms of introducing it to a new audience, I'll just go, hey, by the way, this is, like, how the Venom stuff happened. Well, it was the Venom movie, but obviously that was, like, very different. Yeah, it's, like, changed it. it. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it's just, like, yeah, like, when was the last time we did the whole introduction of the symbiote stuff? You got bits and pieces of it in Venom. I'm just, this seems like it's sticking more to the comic origins. Interesting. Um, I think in terms of, like, the setup, I guess. Yeah, I suppose. I Mainly guess. just because of how much all the Tom Hardy stuff, and it's a different universe, and whatever. They didn't right. have Peter Parker. They had to do it with, like, that someone is, else. That is true. Oh, man, see, uh, to me, I'm excited because it is so different. You know what I mean? Right. Like, we've seen Harry in the tank at the end of the first game with, like, the symbiote mm. 
thing. Well, that's what I was going to say just super quick was that I like that they're pulling from, like, it's Peter Parker doing being introduced to the symbiote. Miles is there too. How much do they pull from that tradition? And, like, they also modernize it and do their own insomniac take on it. Yes, I mean, well, that's the thing, right? I'm sure the bones of it will be very similar, but they're already remixing, like, the original um, version of the symbiote with, like, the ultimate version of the symbiote where it was a uh, biological creation. I think it was even a cure for cancer. It was intended to be that. It was made at Oscorp, and then it kind of got free, and it it took over (laughs) um, Peter and Eddie and whatnot. Mm -hmm. Uh, Obviously, in the original comics, it's, like, an alien at at a certain point. I like my alien symbiote. Yeah, me too. I don't know if that's what they've... Have they committed to that yet? Do we know if it's the... if it's an alien or not? I don't know if we do. Just right. from the it being an Oscorp thing, like mm. they might they might kind of maybe um, tweak it and incorporate both elements. Maybe say it was like a, an alien mineral that like crashed off a meteorite, <laughs> yeah. but then they've bioengineered it or, or something. Jonah's I, I don't know. Sun brings it back. Or that's whatever, that's like, yeah. it, right? That's it, right? It feels like they're remixing a lot. Like you said, just having Miles in completely changes it, mm. which is really cool. So yeah, I'm intrigued to see how much Venom is in there because obviously he's not the only villain. We've seen Craven, we've seen uh, the Lizard, we've we've seen references to a bunch more, mm-hmm. um, and I'm I'm intrigued to see how much of Venom as a character we get versus how much uh, Peter Parker in the symbiote costume we get. Yeah, I also want to know what attitude he comes with because that it made me cringe that bit. I think it's supposed to, but I don't know that bit in the trailer where he's like, I've got teeth as well or whatever yeah. it was. And I was like, oh, oh, I don't know. Not a fan. I don't need, I mean, I, we'll just see. We'll just see. Maybe there's a way to do it. But I'm like, you're definitely supposed to, because one of the, another one of the reasons you love Spidey 3 is that you're supposed to be laughing at him. Yes. And obviously that was the, obviously there was always the intention, but to some degree it was just so bad that the bottom fell out of it and people just went, I don't even want to be in the cinema watching this. That's it. So it's like, it depends. Like how much is uh, Emo Parker supposed to be genuinely threatening or a joke because he's in over his head, he's being yeah. too aggressive or whatever. And playing that kind of goofily, I think the bottom can fall out of that where it's just the vent the symbiote isn't then a threat. I don't want to save Peter. I think I think he's, you know, it's a joke at this point. So it depends what they do. Yeah, it's definitely a fine balance to walk, I suppose. And I don't even know if they're necessarily going down this road. But I would say, especially with kind of Eddie Brock's, uh, Topher Grace's Eddie Brock in Spider-Man 3, I think sometimes the most pathetic appearing people are the most dangerous because mm. you like underestimate them because you write them off as cringe. And then they are capable of like more than you think oh, yeah. they are. You know what I mean? So I kind of like that... Um, interpretation of how the symbiote corrupts someone. It's not that they suddenly turn into like a Cletus Cassidy style psychopath Mm. where it's very clearly, uh, very obvious that they're like, they're not a badass, but you know what I mean? Like they're they're not going down that badass villain archetype where they're like, they're big and they're brutish and they're so obviously evil and Mm. so obviously a threat. I quite, I quite like the balance that Spider-Man 3, the movie gets where Peter Parker's like a piece of crap. He's, He's just... It just makes him a horrible, horrible person who's capable of horrible things. But at the same time, there's a pathetic nature to it. You know, (laughs) it accentuates the kind of nerd in him, the entitled nerd personality. Yes. Like you said, Sam Raimi, the director of that movie, has been on record saying that's what he intended. He intended it to be cringe for him to look kind of weird and stuff. But that doesn't work for all audiences, and it won't work for all audiences in Spider-Man 2 if they do indeed kind of go down that more cringier uh, route. I definitely, I like the idea of like the whole idea of the symbiote, you know, grants all these different parts of your psyche that you're suppressing or someone that you want to be. Obviously Eddie Brock, you know, he ends up using it for power and stature and everything. In Spidey 3, the movie, like you can play that as like he ends up becoming this sort of um, try hard popular kid in school that he never was or whatever, how he might see them or something or whatever it is. There's maybe ways to like make that work. I'll tell you what I realized playing back through little bits of Spider-Man Remastered in the run-up to this is I really don't like his new face. You know, they swapped it years ago. 
But I was just like, man, I forgot this was in here. Right. And man, none yeah. of my memories are associated with this face. <laughs> and just being like, oh, God, I have to put up with a stupid face going forward. I, don't, I, I want the old one back. I know your friend of mine, Adam Nicholas, is also a big hater of the yeah. new face. I don't mind it that much. I've gotten used to it at this point, mm. And I, I'm like, yeah, okay, that's just Spider-Man now. <laughs> oh, God. It is, it's just something about that. It did, obviously, I still think they did it because it looks more like Tom Holland. Yeah. And someone somewhere meshed their fingers together and said, we can unify all the Spider-Man brands under the Sony uh, umbrella but yeah it just it's just it's weird swapping it it's such a massive game and then swapping it in like a year and a half later or whatever or more than that yeah um and then some of the audience have that but it'll be a fraction of the people who played the first time i imagine there's a conversation that'll happen on like what did they do with his face really? i know it's been in the trailers and stuff but i yeah. think there'll be loads of people picking this game up not realizing that they'd swapped for the remaster i am really surprised you know obviously it was a huge thing when it was <clears> uh when it when it first happened with spider-man miles morales and i kind of understood why it was a huge thing. I am genuinely still surprised that we're still talking about it with <laughs> such feather so many, three years after that right. game's release. You know, I thought I thought it would have died down. I think it'll get bigger. Not. I think you you've think? got, you oh, got dude, because wow. it's like the mainstream, the bulk of the people aren't following the industry, like didn't pick up the remaster, maybe haven't watched the trailer. Yeah. Like, I think that is the average person who'll pick it up and then go, what have they done with this face? Do you reckon? Yeah. I, I don't know. I'd like to think that... Um, at least the majority of people um, who played the original mm. like would have at least checked out Miles Morales. Seen a trailer. Yeah. Or seen, seen a trailer, a trailer for the new one. So I don't know. Again, it was naive of me to expect this to die down three years ago. Maybe it's naive no, of I mean, me I, to expect people to already know about that now. But uh, We'll find out. I just It was just one of those things where I like I hadn't played through all of the remaster. So I was like, I'll just fire up my save and do stuff. And, oh, God, yeah. <laughs> oh, God, yeah, this. <laughs> Uh, we'll have to just go with that. Let's talk about um, Sony's live service push. Um, I rolled together a bunch of multiplayer games that they have on the horizon. Um, one of them being Horizon. There's a Horizon multiplayer game. Alongside The Last of Us' multiplayer game, there's a Matterf... I've down Matterfall. That was the game we got wrong. <laughs> yes. It was Marathon. Uh, Marathon from Bungie. Uh, and then there's also Fair Games and Foam Stars. Um, Foam Stars is from Square Enix, but it is a PlayStation exclusive, also on PlayStation 4. Um, Fair Games feels like the one that got the most brunt earlier this year when they revealed it, um, which is like a, um, I guess, watch... Well, not necessarily watchdogs but like a like a cyber style heist game where you're screwing other players over or whatever um, and marathon being bungie's next game which is also one of their original games but in this case it's going to be a um it's like an extraction shooter or something point being that they have a lot of multiplayer irons in the fire however the last of us is multiplayer the last word on that was that it was struggling to come together and it's kind of delayed and they haven't done an update on it yeah. and then naughty dog did a tweet just saying like i was still working on it um this stuff i'll be amazed if they can pull it together um, I feel like they're going way too fast with Horizon. And, yes. and I always already, already thought Forbidden West was just kind of forgettable. Mm. Um, I didn't even play the DLC because it, it didn't review very well. And so I just, trying to milk all your IPs as fast as possible is very now in terms of like how entertainment industries are right now. Yeah. Like get, get a TV show out there, get an extra thing, um, do the spin off, do another one. And we do have a Horizon TV show as well. Um, yeah, it's one of those things where it's not what I want from them, but I'm, I'm willing to be proven right. Yes. And I like the idea of Naughty Dog trying this thing. But, I, but at the same time, Internally, apparently Bungie reviewed their Last of Us game, multiplayer game, and it just wasn't up to scratch. So it's a lot of stuff's being overhauled with that. Absolutely, yeah. I was so looking forward to the Last of Us um, multiplayer game. Mm. And since that delay in the Bungie internal review, which I think it um, pinpointed the fact that it didn't have enough long-term retention ability. <laughs> uh, I think that was the 
Who does these days? Who does? Hey, who does? Um, but I have actually no reason to doubt Bungie's. Um, I'm going to call it Matterfall again. It's not. It's <laughs> marathon, marathon. 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 Uh, I have no reason to really doubt that they will pull that off. To be honest, because mm. by all accounts, like the job they've done with Destiny Two has been pretty impressive. They mm. managed to obviously they went independent with that game after splitting off from Activision. Then they got bought by Sony. And to me, an extraction shooter is is what I want from right. a live service game. I like that more battle royale style focused experience where you're in a world it's pvpv pvpve and you're trying to you know just survive and get the loot get the resources and get out of there mm-hmm. that kind of uh flow is really appealing to me and mm-hmm. i think if you've got a developer of bungie's caliber who you know knows a first person shooter inside out or if this is third person you know who knows mm. they know how to deliver that rhythm they know how to deliver that loop and Hopefully, that is the kind of, like you described earlier, like the tip of the spear for this mm. live service stuff. Get someone who knows their their, their stuff. Get someone who's done this before and yeah. kind of introduce a, a new franchise to the PlayStation ecosystem that can prove that Sony can do live service as well. Uh, Fair Games, I don't think is going to be that. But no, uh, I don't think it's that. Uh, hopefully, Marathon is. Some, it's one of those things, some games come along and they, they their trailers bomb so hard that it feels like it punches through into that mainstream thing where you like it, someone brings it up at like a, a house party or something about how terrible a game is. And it's just sort of like, okay, like, I noticed you're talking about it. It was like when Cyberpunk bombed so hard that like, the BBC were covering it and my yeah. dad was asking me about it. And it's like things like that where Fair Games hasn't bombed that hard yet, but I feel like it's right on the cusp of it. Like yeah. if someone brings it up, it's like, oh God, that thing. Oh, you forget it even exists. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Before we go any further, I want to talk to you about today's sponsor, Masterclass. With the amount of time we spend discussing and analyzing video games on this channel, it's always good to understand exactly how these experiences are put together. And fortunately for me, I can do just that with Masterclass. With Masterclass's streaming service, you can learn from the best to become your best, studying and growing with over 200 plus of the world's leading instructors. For me, I've been having a blast using a class on video game design by The Sims creator Will Wright to find out exactly how game mechanics are designed around player psychology as well as learning how important playtesting is to shipping the titles that you and I both love. But it hasn't stopped there, as I've also been brushing up on my practical filmmaking skills directly from my favourite movie director Martin Scorsese, as well as trying to get back in the cooking game with Roy Choi's amazing course on intuitive cooking. Seriously, my kitchen is a mess, but my belly has never been more grateful. 
For just $10 a month, an annual membership with Masterclass gets you unlimited access to courses on your phone, computer, smart TV, or even via audio-only modes. Even better, every new membership comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee, and 88% of members feel that the service has made a positive impact on their lives. And to put the cherry on top of that cake, right now, What Culture Gaming listeners get an additional 15% off any annual membership at masterclass.com forward slash gaming. That's 15% off at masterclass.com slash gaming. What's that? You want it one more time? Well, that's the URL masterclass.com forward slash gaming. Right, now I'm going to watch Tony Hawk try to teach me how to ollie properly. I'll see you all soon. Um, for them, I mean, maybe they can turn that around. The hands-on stuff with Foam Stars was apparently really strong. Um, I forget which event that was, but it was earlier this year. Um, maybe Summer Games first. And um, so it seems like, I mean, Foam Stars is Square Enix, but it's just so nakedly Splatoon. Yeah. They're like, it's just, I guess if you want a version of that, then fine. I think it's interesting them sort of putting all these lines in the Fire for Live service stuff when right now Halo Infinite is experiencing this huge turnaround um, where like, I finally checked it out because I keep seeing tweets of people going like, you'll not believe this, but it's really good now. Right. And I looked up all the patch notes, and they've like overhauled the physics, and it's like it just plays really well. There's tons of content in there. There's lots of things to unlock. There's a, there's um, loads of things to unlock after the matches and everything. And I was like, this is what it should have launched as. This actually feels like a full game now. Yeah. Um, and there is a way, as long as you are branded well enough, like you know, Xbox has Game Pass, it's Halo to come back around again. So maybe if they do the same thing on a long enough timeline, you have your PlayStation Plus subscription, and you just have these games ready to go. Yeah. And um, we're going to talk about streaming stuff in a bit. But um, it's just that thing of, like, if Sony backs it, can that save it? To me, I don't necessarily think so, because Destruction uh, All-Stars didn't work. Yes. And um, that could have been, initially, that was meant to be a live service. Um, and they couldn't even get the player numbers on that when it was regular. It's true. You would like to think that, you know, with their biggest franchises, with The Last of Us, with Horizon, mm. and then with Bungie's uh, work, that they would have a... A higher level of quality control, like Destruction yeah. All-Stars, while obviously it was a push into live service um, stuff, it was also like, it was essentially a PS Plus game, right? You know, yeah. it dropped uh, day one there, it was just trying to get players in. I don't know, I, I would hope that isn't the template. I would, I would hope that is more of an anomaly than the blueprint mm. of what they're trying to achieve going forward, especially when that dropped off instantly. you got to imagine they took some lessons from that. Well, they, I mean, they, they had, like, separate price tags for the chapters of the story. Like, it was just like, you can yeah. never do this again. No. Like, for a Sony first party to charge you after chapter one was like, what the hell is this? Um, but, yeah, the live service stuff, over, stuff overall, um, I guess which one are you looking forward to the most? This, this isn't my thing at all. The Last of Us would is still on the list. Mm. It's dropped down a little bit after the delay, but I hope they can get it right. You know, Naughty Dog hasn't gone wrong by me yet, and I've even yeah. liked their multiplayer services in the um, Uncharted games and in The Last of Us, so I do mm. think they have at least an understanding of how to, again, make for an interesting multiplayer loop. But yeah, it is probably Bungie's Marathon. The other ones I can kind of take a lead. I was going to say, would just... you play Horizon? Yeah, Monster Hunter it Horizon? It depends what it is. Yeah. You know, if it's a co-op thing, probably not, because I just I don't really love co-ops. The footage that leaked was very Monster Hunter, where right. it was just four players running around a field. There wasn't much combat. There wasn't any combat in the leaked stuff, but it just seems like they're chasing Monster Hunter. Well, I quite like that. You yeah. know, the bulk of live service games aren't for me, and mm. I can easily ignore them. Like, I've never played Destiny 2, you know, outside right. of the first 15 minutes. Oh, played man, I've played, a, I've played a, a hilarious amount of Destiny 2, considering how much I don't talk about it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly right. That was but, my because uh, it's just because it's Bungie. That was my right. go-to every night for like months or whatever. 
But the bulk of their live service stuff I could just easily ignore. You know, like mm. Fortnite I've dipped into now and again, but I wouldn't describe myself as a huge fan. I don't hate that mm. game, but I just haven't played enough of it, like the Destinies and whatnot. And mm-hmm. um, so I don't mind that these things exist as long as they're not predatory and as long as they're not like nickel and diming you for your money. Yes. And um, I do like that the lineup that they seem to have is relatively diverse for yeah. a live service output. You know, you've got your extraction shooter, you've got your Monster Hunter style game, you've got maybe a Battle Royale style game mm. with uh, The Last of Us. Uh, they kind of have a Call of Duty comparison as well with the, um, is a fire team over on VR? Yes, uh, yeah, Firewall. Firewall. Uh, firewall like, uh, just the idea of like a military yeah. shooter. Like It's not like they brought that across and backed it. If they brought SOCOM back, they could easily try the, the Call of Duty thing. This is it. Like, I've been, it's kind of like a monkey's paw thing, right? Because I've been on these podcasts for years wishing and willing Sony to make first-person shooters. Mm. And now they are, but they're live service games <laughs> that I don't want. And I think, oh, man, maybe I've done this. But, uh, yeah, I think we collectively did this because it was always like, why are you not doing a first-person shooter? Yeah. You, you had Killzone for so long, and then why are you not doing anything else? And then yeah, we get this version of it. Yeah, man. And so, you know, I'm interested to see how they do. I'll be following them quite closely, but whether I'll play them, that's entirely down mm. to the quality of the experience because I don't think they can do a Halo Infinite and kind no. of um, put their, you know, first foot forward with a lackluster, content-free um <laughs> Early access launch, essentially, with these titles. Oh, the state of Halo Infinite back at launch. That was when I bought the Battle Pass as well. I was like, yeah. I like Halo, I'll buy the thing. And then we all, like, other people from the office, Jules and Dan and stuff did as well. And there's just nothing there. Now there is stuff there, but I'm not giving them any more money. No. I'll, uh, I'll just keep playing. Um, let's talk about Naughty Dog, because we know there's another game coming um, that's helmed by Neil Druckmann. It's whatever the next thing is that he's going to do. Um, obviously, major part of Naughty Dog's identity, especially their new age identity. Um, and Bruce Straley, um, as far as I know, just has left altogether now. He was on sabbatical after, I think it was Uncharted 4. Um, and now he's just kind of gone. But Neil Druckmann and Bruce Straley, obviously responsible for um, even Uncharted 2 or whatever, like going like quite, quite far back. Last of Us is the big deal where they really kicked in as like two co-creators kind of thing. Um, yeah, what do, you, what, what do you want from Neil Druckmann at this point? Whatever he wants to give me. Mm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Almost whatever he wants to give me. I know Neil Druckmann, people don't necessarily love the approach that he had with The Last of Us 2 mm. outside of the, you know, the obvious controversy that was, you know, whatever, uh, but like <laughs> even in terms of like the, the darkness of it, I, like I know say, for instance yeah, yeah, yeah. you're not necessarily a fan of just how dark his stories are, like constantly focusing on it's that not stuff. That, it's, not, it's not that, it's that it affects what Naughty Dog are. It's, just, it, it's like, I like the idea of this already being talked about as a Neil Druckmann game, and I want mm. him to be more of a, a separated author where you kind of know what you're getting from a, a Neil Druckmann thing. It's just that Naughty Dog used to have this wider identity, and it was obviously more rooted in um, all ages stuff. It was it was Crash. It was Jack and Daxter. Um, Uncharted is a very big blockbuster franchise. Yeah. But there's just even Uncharted Four. You could feel the Druckmanizing of Uncharted. Yes. Like it was uh, it was all of a sudden it was more dour. It was the color palettes were you know less um, uh, like high contract whatever it is. It's not like as pop visuals as their other stuff. I'm not saying I want them to do another mascot platformer. I don't necessarily. I just don't only want them to do shoegazing, oh my God, what is life stuff. Interesting. And I love that. I do love that stuff. It's just that I don't want that from all of Naughty Dog. I feel like there is a distinction between Neil Druckmann stuff and Naughty Dog stuff. Absolutely. For me, the Neil Druckmann stuff is good, and the other Naughty Dog stuff is not good. Oh, after the face, oh. <laughs> Only because oh. I, know I say that, I'm gonna, I'm, 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 pl- I'm doing a bit in a way. I, I like the stories of. Uh, Jack Two's better than Last of Us Two. No, I like the stories no. of the original Last of Us and uh, no, Last of Us games. They're uh, Uncharted games. Yeah. they're fun. They have interesting characters, of course. They're these swashbuckling adventures. They're memorable. They yes. are impactful. But to me, what they did with Uncharted Four was just take it to a next level. They like did. it's, it's it doesn't have to be dour. I'm not asking for 
exclusively dour games from Neil Druckmann, but I want the level of depth that he brings mm. to the writing. Like, I talk all the time about how much I got from The Last of Us 2's portrayal of grief, and I'm just not getting that level of depth from other games. The no, closest I've true. ever got was... Um, Recently was uh, God of War Ragnarok, you know, really mm. diving into what it means to be a father, these fa- uh, family dynamics mm. and how trauma repeats itself and whatnot. And I just, from if we're getting a, a new game from a studio known for their stories, I want those stories to be as rich as possible. He can do that in an all ages, with an all ages rating, with a more kind mm. of kid-friendly approach, but I just don't want him to sacrifice the depth that he brings in. No, me neither. The thing is, I always go back and forward on um, that sort of general idea that, like, any major creative needs a producer, needs someone to rein them in. Like, Hideo Kojima, I always forget the name of the guy, and I don't know off the top of my head, but he had a guy that was always with him for, until Death Stranding. Um, and it's, you could kind of tell, like, Death Stranding is the most out-there thing he's done. Obviously, there's bits in Metal Gear Solid Five that are out there, um, but it's one of those things where if you go back and the more you read about The Last of Us 1's development, the more it was Druckmann pushing for this incredibly dark story and Bruce Straley saying, ah, you can't go that dark. It's something, you don't want to leave people feeling bad about their own existence or whatever it is. Right. And then Last of Us 1, obviously, um, he said, oh, it's about love. Last of Us 2 is about hate. And I, I like, the, like the idea that he's, I mean, I don't even necessarily agree with the thing that I said about just, you know, restraining creatives. I do want to see what they come out with. Um, I'm still going to have an opinion on it, though. And so it's one of those things where um, Last of Us 2, I like to think that he sort of exercised a lot of those thoughts. Like he talked about what inspired it and um, like a violent altercation that he witnessed when he was a kid and stuff like that. And so there's all that. So I'm just like, I, but at the same time, there was so much depth to Last of Us 1 um, and you had a mix of the two. And I, I don't know if I personally love an entirely Druckmann-driven thing. I know Holly Gross came in for Last of Us 2, um, but it still felt like when you read about Last of Us 1's development that it was Druckmann's idea writ large without Straley. I think, see, I don't agree with mm. it just because of the stuff that I've read about The Last of Us 2's production. Obviously, yeah, Bruce Straley isn't there, but he has other creatives yeah. helping him along the way. Like you said, he's got a co-writer on that game. You know, Haley Gross, like, mm-hmm. obviously helped shape that narrative. And if you, like, look at what... Neil Druckmann originally wanted to do some of the ideas that he had. Like, it's funny when he got people who pushed back on certain things and he had, like, rethought certain elements of the plot and, like, mm. changed things around. So, I don't, I think... In, like, a more, what, what, what were they? Like, more positive stuff? Well, it depends. Well, I don't know. I don't know what you would describe as more positive. Just, like, mm. changing um, how, like, there's the big thing with, like, the initial plan was to have Abby info. It was actually dark because yeah, Abby would infiltrate the um, Jackson community right. and would get to know Joel before, uh, mm. you know, before the plot properly kicks off, which mm. obviously, to me, makes her character even more insidious because, yeah. you know, she's getting to know this guy that she has beef with and she's, like, manipulating him from the inside. And there's, like, a lot of stuff like that where, like, these first drafts sort of... He talked about it. I just think it's a bit of a... I think it's a bit harsh in him to say that, like, everything, like, light about The Last of Us 1 was Bruce Straley and kind of say this is all... didn't say that necessarily. Well, pushed him in that direction and kind of say that no one was pushing him in directions for the second one because Mm. I do think, even though he's the key writer, he's, like, the key creative, like, those games are collaborations. You've got a bunch of people who help out. You've got a bunch of people who help mold the story and kind of... It's not like he's just dictatorial going down a sort of dour route and being able to like bat off everyone Mm. I don't think necessarily at least from the stories that I've read about the production yeah which is worth saying because it is easy to like like I said he is being singled out as like as as if he was a um, 
what the hell do you call the Bioshock dude? I forgot his Ken name. Ken Levine. As if he's a Ken Levine, or at least a, 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 as if he was a Hideo Kojima kind of thing. And when they are, like you said, always collaborative things, and it is easy when you read those things to be like, okay, he must have wanted this darker stuff and surely came in with his torch and shone some light on it and went, yeah. no, make it more lighter um, to then carry that over to Last of Us 2 and be like, well, without Straley, he just went and did this horrible thing. Um, yeah, not to discount Holly Gross whatsoever. Um, but uh, yeah, somewhere in there is the idea of, at least to me, Druckmann wanting to do these darker stories, however you want to, like, um, how wide that umbrella goes, I yeah. don't know, but like it, it feels like there's a notable difference oh, yeah, um, yeah. from Last of Us after Last of Us 1 and then and, and, like I said after Uncharted 4, um, which is all around to say that if you do this next game where he's ostensibly like creative director or whatever, um, what kind of story does he end up doing? Does yes. he get it out of his system with Last of Us 2? Does he still want to explore human on human violence? Is that kind of like the crux thing? Um, or does he do something more blockbustery? Because he largely came in on Uncharted 2, I think, um, in terms of the main writer anyway. Uh, I'm curious about that stuff. I'm just yeah. curious what he does, hopefully given a new IP. Hopefully. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, I want to see The Last of Us Part 3 at some point, mm. but I also want to see Naughty Dog tra- tackle something new. And I think, you know, I like the idea of them having multiple teams again. Like mm. uh, like I said, I love Neil Druckmann and his games, mm. but I want to see, you know, a game directed by someone else within Naughty Dog. Like, see what they can do, because it's nice to have a voice within a yeah. studio, but it's also cool to have multiple voices and multiple creative directors making their own little thing within mm-hmm. the Naughty Dog umbrella, I think. I think just if I compare final thoughts when The Last of Us 1 cut to black with Ellie's face, I love that feeling mm. of like not like fully knowing and oh my God, I can't wait to go see what people thought of this and whatever. Last of Us 2 ended, I was in tears and bits and I was absolutely ruined and I was, and then my brain and my internal monologue was like, I don't know if I needed that. Yeah. They're worth, well, so worthwhile, but I'll take the first one more. I'll take the... When there's more to it, I guess. This is why, um, I don't know, this is why I think the jury's out on yeah. what Neil Druckmann even wants because he's only had one game without mm. uh, Bruce Straley at this point. So mm. it's like, is that just his style for that one game or is that all he's going to do? And that's why I kind of... <laughs> just, he's the Dower sad guy. That's, that's why yeah. I sort of like point towards that because if you, even if you look at his um, HBO adaptation of The Last of Us, like mm. there's so much push and pull. Like there isn't any creative industry if you've got a co-writer, if you've got a bunch of writers helping you out, if you've got a bunch of executive producers. Yeah. Like, it was never just one voice in the room. Like he co-created The Last of Us with Craig Mazin and it's hilarious and really insightful reading the interviews about mm. what stuff they pushed for and what stuff they had creative disagreements over. And mm-hmm. it's like, there's always that push and pull. Like, it's no game, even a Hideo Kojima game, is 100% that auto. No, of course think. not. It was just that weird thing of, like like I said, you read about um, the specific quotes from Australia about, like, how much the he, the things he pushed back on in the original Last of Us. I don't know if it's specific scenes, but those are the general, thematically, it was always, like, oh, this idea of how dark do we go kind of thing. Um, and then that idea of carrying that through The Last of Us 2 and then just being like, oh, okay, well, you didn't have that pushback, so you were able to write this darker thing, um, which is still phenomenal. It's still deep. It's still got all these, like, recommendable parts to it. Um, but we'll see. Speaking of creators, though, Death Stranding 2 oh, is another yes. game that's quite easy to forget is coming that actually has been officially confirmed. We have a teaser for it. Um, what do you want from Death Stranding 2? What do you want from more Kojima? More Death Stranding, man. <laughs> Death Stranding, one of my favorite um, gameplay loops ever. Oh, dude, it's incredible. video game, one of my favorite settings and kind of, Lost, one of your favorite vibes. One of my favorite vibes. So this, Death Stranding might be the ultimate game. vibe game. I think it is. I mean, there's a I lot of like. I th- after a while, I noticed that every single song was low raw, but it's like it's one of the. There's a great soundtrack for that thing. Yeah. Um. But at the same point, I hope they do more like a like an original score or something this time. I don't know what you do rather yeah. than just use more low raw stuff. But there's something about just delivering packages in an apocalypse that That's for whatever it. reason just worked. Yeah, man. Like it just has a like. I play so few games that don't have combat in. Mm. And Death Stranding's, you know, gameplay loop of just trying to deliver those packages, mm. just trying to like, um, 
understand how the world works and chart this land that you're unfamiliar with and is hostile to you even without <laughs> the, the the monsters and the uh, mercenaries that mm. roam its uh, wild plains. Like, I just think it's... It puts you in such a specific headspace that I can't get enough of, and right. I just want to be back in that zone. I want to be back in that kind of thought process of how do I get from point A to point B in the most efficient way without losing um, as many packages mm. as I possibly can. It just... It's it's built so well, it feels so good to play. Mm -hmm. And yeah, like you said, it's got that vibe to it that I want to see, not necessarily replicated, because I would like to see them kind of go somewhere new, maybe mm -hmm. introduce a new type of soundtrack, like you mentioned, maybe a new band that you kind of focus on. Um, but I kind of want them to kind of hopefully capture the same spirit of the mm -hmm. original. No, that, that's the thing with the spirit of that game, because the director's cut, I didn't finish. I know you end up getting sucked back into it. It was one of those things where I was like, I'll just try it and see what they've changed. And then I feel like I blinked and four hours went by. It's, yeah. it's that good of a, a set of systems and gameplay loops. Um, but there was a lot more to give it a word banter in the director's cut um, in terms of like stunt ramps and photo modes and things like that. And things that I guess would take away from that desolate, isolated vibe of the, of the original release. And so I'm curious what direction this goes in. Now that he knows, um, or now that there is a Death Stranding fan base that have largely warmed to all those things, um, do you write something that works for them? Right. Or like, what kind of story do you tell? Because Death Stranding is pretty encapsulative by itself. Like yeah. the whole, the message of togetherness and whatever kind of comes through by the end of it. Um, but yeah, I'm just curious what you write. I wonder what Kojima thinks, having been almost like a prophet for various, like, obviously people are like, oh, he predicted COVID. It's like he predicted the idea of a disconnected world, which we ended up living through. Yeah. How does that change his thing? I know he's already said that parts of, um, I think it was his overall idea for two already has changed. He rewrote the whole thing. Yeah, said, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's just like, what was that original? And then like, how did that make you feel? And, and whatever we're going to get from that. Um, I want to run down quite a few more things here. We've already gone on for over, I don't know, 35, whatever it is, minutes. Um, Insomniac's Wolverine. Yes, is, uh, one that, another one that's quite easy to forget is coming. That I they would have agree. that alongside Spider Man. Yeah, I have no idea what they're going to do for that. I would like to see something a little bit brutal, uh, something mm. a little bit more um, mature in tone than the Spider Man games. Mm -hmm. And I don't want it to be open world. I think I right. think I might mention this before, Maybe. but I'd like to see the God of War Ragnarok slash God of War 2018 approach and mm -hmm. um, give it give you open areas, but not an open world. You know, right. yeah, fill yeah. fill it with secrets, fill it with combat encounters, mm -hmm. but keep it. Uh, a little bit more focused on the character and the character action. Let me put my claws into a wall and climb it. Oh, yeah. I want to go up, I hey, want to get some secrets. Been playing X-Men 2 Wolverine's Revenge yeah, yeah, you have. over the past week or so, which yep. we should talk about next week, by the way. <gasps> we will. Up. Um, I didn't like it as much as I did when I was seven. No. Strange to say, but what I did like as much <laughs> is that it has a dedicated button to retracting your claws and getting them Snicked. back out again. Mm -hmm. Yep, doing that. And I want this to have a dedicated button to getting those claws in and out of the his thing that skin. This game needs um is the healing mechanic from X-Men Origins Wolverine. Yeah. Because Raven aren't escaping the Call of Duty cages anytime soon and they've not been able to do another Wolverine game themselves. But that game, I think we've already, everyone knows this, but it was just that thing where they rendered the skeleton, the muscles, the skin, whatever. You'd get hit with bullets, you get hit with blades, and then Wolverine would come back together layer by layer. Yeah. The way that he uh, like his healing factor kinda would in real life. I um, love the idea of that, especially with SSD tech and keeping it all rendering well and whatever. Um, have a way with Netherrealm. Get some yeah, of their body on. models along the way. I think you've got to do it. Like yeah. I said, if you keep like the sort of God of War over-the-shoulder framing, which I would personally love, like you could have Ooh. a regenerative health system in there mm. where you just sort of take the damage as the fight goes on, and then at the end of a scrap, you've got Wolverine in various you know states of disarray. Just popping his arm back popping in. Popping his arm back in, you know, the the, the <laughs> skeleton getting the blood and the muscle back uh, on top of it uh -huh. and stuff like that. Just seeing how 
much he deteriorates compared to how big the fight is. Oh my is god, you could do tall. you could do all of it. If he's wearing the white tank top, standard looking Wolverine, that yeah. could shred, it could tear, yes. the folds could come down because yeah. they've been te- torn enough. Um, and like you said, he just stands there and puts himself back together or something. And um, I feel like new age game design wouldn't let that cl- wouldn't let that clothing reset again. Like you would come no. out of a cutscene in an old game and it would be the character model again. But I feel like now you would have a version that just deteriorates for like the whole game. Yeah. Then you finish with like half of his face hanging off or something and then he puts it back together again. Um, yeah, I'm curious what they do for all that stuff. The combat's going to be the main thing. Absolutely. I so don't want a God of War one. Interesting. Because um, it's, I just, whatever, it's a whole separate point, but I think that God of War combat model has run its course mm. um, in God of War itself. I thought Ragnarok in itself was too much of that combat model. So I don't know what else you do, but I, I hope ju- it's different. I just love the way God of War Ragnarok incorporates not only the weapons, but almost different fighting styles of mm. Kratos. Obviously, you have the shield, you can throw the Leviathan axe mm-hmm. and then pummel people with your fists. And I would like to see that system in Wolverine, mm-hmm. like differentiating uh, the combat when he has his claws out. Maybe you can like, you know, put the claws away, retract the claws, and then just pummel someone with like fast um, body shots, you yeah. know, get them in a dazed state, pull <laughs> the claws back out, execute a finisher. I just think that kind of tightness and interplay between those um, up close and personal mm. sort of combat styles. That's I don't want to. That's what I want to see for all. Of yeah, us. I just I just wanted to have a level of cinematic flair that I don't feel God of War has because it's too indebted to the Soulsian model. Right, uh, it doesn't okay. have the Devil May Cry, even old God of War. It doesn't have the like the side shots. Even X Two Wolverine's Revenge. Yeah, throws the camera to the side and it, it every now and then it's almost isometrically and you sort of get like get a a more sort of um, fighting game camera to yeah. some degree um, and you can show off the, and zoom out more so you can see more of exactly what's happening I just I want to see more of that I want to be able to flip and move and dodge and do all that kind of cool stuff I, I, I want to flip and move and dodge but I think <laughs> uh, our differences as people is that like the further out the camera goes in a combat situation the less I feel like I'm in it in that is uh, my a personal hang-up that I can't get over. You know, God of War Ascension. I was just going to say, Ascension out. got it way too wrong. That like, did nothing for me. And no. while I do like the original God of Wars, and I think their combat is moment-to-moment probably better. Yeah, it certainly has so. more flair than the uh, previous two, the other two games. The other two games still work for me a little bit more because being in that moment, feeling mm. every hit, that just works for me more. Right, okay. Game, yeah. yeah, yeah, I think, yeah, God of War 3 was obviously the most perfected version of the old combat because like, Ascension is where they went totally wrong. That's almost like a mark in gaming of like, this is too much, you're zooming out too much and we're controlling a little clump of pixels in the middle. Yeah. Uh, I'd say there are seas of difference between like 3 and Ascension. Like you just don't do that super zoomed out stuff. I just mean more like 3's regular combat or a Devil right. May Cry camera or something. Still a bit too zoomed out for me personally, yeah. but you know, I can totally see the appeal of that. Yes, we'll see what they end up doing though. I think um, the as soon as they can show off some Wolverine gameplay, I just want to see that. I want to see how he plays, how he moves. Yeah, do you want to? Do you, do you want it to be a solo Wolverine thing, or would you like to see? Are you like looking for more X Men cameos, or oh, you, do you just want it to be a Logan story? I'd not even thought of them doing anything other than a single player. Right. I get the hell. I'm not even playing this if it's not a solo Wolverine game. Oh no, not multiplayer. Don't get me no, wrong. No, no, but like, oh, you got a little AI companion, or we're gonna we're gonna last of us. No, 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 not oh, even yeah. that. I just mean other X Men <laughs> and other superheroes. Turning up with the story. That's all uh, I mean is villains or, you know, NPCs and stuff. I don't know. It's, uh, for me, I've always, I like, lo- I, I love the Wolverine Origin comic. I like the idea of him being more solo. So it's like, give me the bone claws. Give me like him wondering what the hell's up with him. He's trying to figure it out. Yeah. Maybe he meets Xavier at the very end or something. Um, but yeah, I like my I like my solo Logans. I like that character works best when he's solo. That's always his thing when he's with the X-Men anyways. And right. Maybe I shouldn't be here because I can go do other stuff anyway. 
Um, I feel like the whole game and Spidey is up against superhero fatigue in general. So I kind of need it to sing away from that stuff. I don't want it to be, hey, here's the X-Men. Because I feel like all that stuff is kind of tainted. Is it? I think so. You don't think there's superhero fatigue right now? There's superhero fatigue, but only in movies, I'd say. You know, and even, Uh, I I think when... Well, all the TV shows have bombed as well. Yeah, but that's what what I mean. In live action, let's say, there's a a blanket staple statement for that. I think when, I, I do agree, you know, superhero fatigue is real. But I think when a good one comes along... It smashes through. Like when a mm. Norway home comes out, it smashes through. When the Avengers comes out, it'll probably smash through. Yeah. In terms of popularity, I don't I don't even think you could necessarily disagree with that. Like Norway Home like made so much money. It did. It's I just I, my mind just went to how badly that thing has aged. Like all the, the edits. Dude, yeah, man. Norway Home, like the amount of like the fact that when you watch it back, there are like breaks for the audience applause when each person comes in. Yeah. Like things like that. They were like, it was made for that one launch experience, that initial experience, that movie. Right. And then it just it isn't a good film. Like oh. it was just Do you like No Way Home? I, I really like No Way Dude, Home. Dude, we should yeah. do uh, some sort of discussion on this. Well, like what you said there, I, I, I can't like that literally is what how they're structured, you know, they're structured <laughs> for applauses and whatnot. But uh I can only think of like so was Endgame. You know what I mean? The Endgame had those moments. Had one at the end. Okay. I was like, I I was like ten so. years of a build up. Well, well, okay. It's, oh yeah. Well, uh, because you like Endgame, they're fine on that one. That's not that that, that's there's a whole separate thing. But the Spidey one felt like we got brand synergy. The movie, so everyone who walks in is like, we're gonna stop the film yeah. for like five seconds, and then they're gonna keep going. That Andrew Garfield scene is like terribly put together. Yeah. It was fun at the time, though. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and the next thing I had down was Final Fantasy Rebirth, Final Fantasy VII Rebirth, um, for next year, which is just the general back and forward that Sony's done with Final Fantasy in general, um, locking certain things down, not talking about other ones. Final Fantasy XIV is now coming to Xbox. Um, it's already on PlayStation. Um, but yeah, Final Fantasy VII Rebirth is another... Like, if they do this and they still haven't put the original on Xbox, it just <laughs> it just is exclusive at this point. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I was a bit gutted that was delayed out of this year, I must admit, because that was the Final Fantasy I was really mm. looking forward to after really enjoying the Seven remake. Mm-hmm. I think with this game, they have so much to improve on from that foundation that they established in 2020, in my mm-hmm. opinion. You know, I want to see them flesh out the side missions. I want to see less repetition, less padding. I want mm-hmm. it to be a tighter, leaner experience overall. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's one of those things where, like, 16 is such a weirdly received game. I love it. I think that just is my default game of the year because it's the thing I love the most of, like, pound for pound or whatever. But it's a 7 uh, Rebirth or whatever has to match that combat style of the other other Final Fantasy 7 remake, which is way more like a Devil May Cry or something. And uh, I'm just curious what the identity of Final Fantasy comes across as. I feel like Square Enix are putting all of their eggs in that brand's basket. Hmm. Um, and I know that Ever Crisis or whatever is out in a couple of weeks as well, which is, like, the expansion of Final Fantasy 7 stuff but it ties more into the original. It just it did a lot of Final Fantasy VII stuff doing the rounds at the minute. Yeah. And um, it's just one of those things where I want I just want to know what the hell they've done to my boy. <laughs> I want to know what the hell you've done as you've taken this original story and stretched it all the way out and done the ostensibly the game's climax in the in the opening what is what used to be the opening sort of fifth of it. Um, and how do you then make Sephiroth a big villain when we've already fought him? Do you sort yeah. of build back up to fighting him again or whatever? It's all that stuff that I'm just, I'm more curious about what the hell their plan is. Me too. Again, it's another one where I'm just so intrigued by the story and I want to know what they've gotten up to like mm. you do. You know, I have a completely different relationship with Final Fantasy VII than you do, of course. You know, 
the remake was the first time I'd ever fully experienced mm-hmm. any of that story outside of just being told stuff or seeing the occasional cutscene mm-hmm. and whatnot. So what they did with that game's ending and how they remix certain elements and how they are actually remaking the story is interesting to me, and mm. I kind of want to see more of that in the next game, though they have kind of said that they will be sticking to the original blueprint more, which, to me, I mean, that's still fine, <laughs> because I get to experience this game I've never experienced, mm. but they went so bold with the first one, that, and that's why I found it so special in spite of its many, many flaws that I was hung up on mm-hmm. until realizing what it was doing. Them saying that, like, oh, we're going to go back to the blueprint, we're going to, like, follow it more closely after having torn up the whole thing. I just, it's that's it's fascinating from a, a law perspective or it's fascinating from a fan perspective just because it is already so different. Um, but, yeah, in regards to what it means for, like, PlayStation, I feel like because I mentioned, you know, ages ago when we started this podcast, Sony already have, like, 80% of the market share. So it feels like something as big as Final Fantasy um, only extends that. But then at the same time, 16 didn't sell, like, gangbusters. So it's like, I just feel like Final Fantasy is in an interesting place at the minute, and they have all these little gambles with how much they can monetize 7, um, as well as then doing 16, and that's a different thing. They tried, like, action combat. It didn't really work, mm. but it went down more... It just, for whatever reason, there wasn't the conversation about the 7 remake, about, like, oh my god, you've changed so much. Everyone just kind of went with it in a way that 16 was like, it's not Final Fantasy anymore. Right. And like even Hironobu Sakaguchi is now commenting, going, like, well, I think it's Final Fantasy. The creator yeah. to say, like, oh, I like, endorse it or whatever. Um, they're interesting conversations. Um, for now, though, this has been the World Culture Gaming Podcast. I've been your host, Scott Tailford, joined by Josh Brown. Always watch Scott Tailford. Goodbye. <laughs>